Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Hey, I am so glad that all of you are here. Are you happy to be here this morning? Awesome. Before I start, I've got to do I've got to do a couple shout-outs. Uh, so first of all, I want to recognize uh, our friends from Florida, Fred and Pam. I'm so glad that you're here this morning visiting with us. They are some of the OGs, man, and I'm so glad to have them back. Um, uh, got some other visitors uh, today, uh, so I am so glad that you are here today, and uh, if I would love to meet you, so uh, after the service, uh, make sure you say hello. I'll try to make myself available. For all of you who are watching online this morning, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we hope that you feel a part of this place and a, far, a part of this uh, service as well. So uh, today uh, we are finishing up a series uh, that we have called Supreme. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've had uh, an awesome journey uh, on this road. I, I told you in the beginning, it's like we're taking a journey, we're going to take some exits, we're going to take some stops, and, uh, and that's where we're hitting our final stop today. And again, it's, it's one of those things where I kind of had something completely different in mind when I kind of set out to teach this series about what I was going to speak about today, and that changed up this week. So hopefully you're okay with that, so I got to think, hey, if God's saying do that, then that's what we're going to do today. So... Uh, so I'm going to change that up, but uh, listen, if you haven't been here, if you haven't listened to some of the uh, previous messages, I would say, first of all, go back and, and listen to those, because I think there's something in there uh, for all of us. Um, and uh, second of all, if you aren't kind of starting on the same page with us this morning, as I've done every single week, I'm going to take a little bit of time uh, to review today, just so we are on uh, the same page. Uh, we, we have been on this journey. We've seen a lot. We've learned a lot. Hopefully, uh, you've grown a little bit. Um, and I, again, I've realized there's so much richness in what we were doing uh, that I wish I, I added a couple weeks to this. So maybe down the road we'll, uh, we'll add some of that uh, as well. Um, but like I said, wherever you are in your journey too, and I've been saying this the whole time, uh, if, if you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, I hope that you've grown a little bit in your journey. Um, but I am well aware that there are people in this room who are not on that same journey. You might be uh, very skeptical about God, about Christianity, about religion, about faith. Um, and if you've tracked along with us, uh, I hope uh, that that has moved your heart a little bit to kind of open your heart and your mind to maybe some things that you haven't seen before. That's been uh, my heart. So, uh, as I said, I've encouraged us to open our Bibles uh, this, this series, and so I've had mine with me every week. Maybe have it on your phone. Uh, that's totally okay, so you could open up your Bible to Colossians. So that's where I'm going to start. We learned a little bit about what the Bible is, right? So the Bible is a book made up of 66 different books. And so uh, we have, is divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament has 39 books in it, and 
the New Testament has 27 books in it. And we've been looking at very specifically at a letter called Colossians, which is in the New Testament, and it's under the letters section. And it was written by the Apostle Paul. Probably all of you have heard of him. He's one of the, like, the foundational uh, persons of the church. And, uh, and so uh, that's where we find ourselves today. We, we learned a little bit about the people uh, that he was writing to. So he was writing to a town uh, called Colossae. It was actually a church. So the people that he was actually specifically writing to were people already on their journey with God. He's writing to this church, and he, we use this keyword admonish. Uh, he's been admonishing people. So admonish has this sense of something's out of joint, right? So he's like, listen up, everybody, in this really nice way. Listen up. There's some things really important that I want to talk to you about, that I want to tell you about, that I want to help you with. And what's interesting about that is Paul never knew these people. He never visited this church as far as we know. In fact, it was started by this guy named Epaphras, which was one of Paul's kind of disciples. And so they get to this, uh, this point in, in their church where even Epaphras was struggling. So Paul says, hey, let me write a letter. Now, again, the Bible wasn't written back then. So he's writing a letter, and he sends it along to be read in front of the whole crowd, kind of a crowd like this. So let me give you some background. So Colossae was a small town. It was not a large place. It was kind of insignificant. There wasn't much going on there. It was probably well-to-do, um, but there was a lot of intellectualism in that day, a lot of ideas, a lot of philosophies, various religions. Um, so it was a very diverse town. And, um, you know, it was made up of very uh, diverse cultures as well. So there were Jews there, and there were Greeks there, and there were Romans there. And so all these people were kind of uh, doing life together in that time and in that place. Uh, but because it was such a, a culture that was, like, saturated with ideas... Uh, that Paul said, hey, be careful because we're seeing some ideas come to church that maybe we need to kind of pull back on a little bit and really look out for. And so we talked a lot about that as we, as we went through. And again, we're making this, this comparison because the truth is we live today in a culture of ideas and philosophies and various religions. And so I think a lot of the parallels are for us. No, this book was not written to us. And I've said that several times. There was very specific things. There's very specific culture. Uh, it was written to them, but there, it was written for us. And so we have some uh, things to pull out uh, for all of us today. Um, so he goes on and says, there's a couple big themes. He goes, listen, you got to get rid of all the distractions, the things that are kind of pulling you away from the orthodoxy of the faith, from what you really once believed. And he goes, the biggest thing and the only thing that you need to worry about is Jesus. And that's where we got the title of our message, Supreme. He says, make Jesus supreme. Let him have the supremacy over everything. Uh, and so, uh, obviously, again, here we are now in our culture, we fast forward and we say, well, you know, we're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to give God the supremacy and everything. We're trying to have a faith that's practical and real for all of us. But the truth is, there's lots of ideas. There's lots of other religions. How do we really know? And we wrestled with that this whole time. 
How do we really know what's right and what's wrong? And so what our culture has tended to do is we have kind of, kind of defaulted towards this thought because it sounds tolerant and it sounds, you know, uh, the most humble and that, that, well, as long as you're, you know, you're doing the best you can, kind of every religion has all these different truths to it. And so we're all going to kind of make it in the end. We will call that pluralism. And so even now in our day with Christianity, people will look at that and say, what is the biggest problem with Christianity? Well, it's pretty narrow, it seems like. So we talked through that and how truth by very definition is narrow. And so even now when we start blending kind of all these religions and ideologies and philosophies together, it really doesn't even, it's not really, in my mind, it doesn't benefit any religion, right? It feels like now we're diluting and watering down the basics of what everybody believes, whether they're distinctives about God or the path to heaven, whatever it is. So, uh, so then we talked about last week how Paul was instructing these people, be careful, be careful, but whatever you do, as you share, make sure you do it with gentleness and respect. And we talked about the tension. And so maybe I made you feel a little uncomfortable last week because we were walking in the tension. Actually, maybe you felt a little uncomfortable all series because you really do have to walk in the tension of what we're talking about. Walking in the tension of what we know to be true versus what we're really not sure to be true. And so how do we interact with those around us in our day, in our time, in our culture? And so I left us off with this question. How is it that the good news of Jesus has survived generation after generation after generation? Particularly in light of the fact that a lot of people may have some real hang-ups about Christianity. What is it that has made the gospel perpetuate through the ages? And we're going to talk a little bit about that today as we wrap up. I've asked this question just about every week. Why are you here? Because see, my heart, and I think Paul's heart for the people here in Colossae, was to make sure that they knew what their purpose was in life. And by the way, we talked about that too. Everybody has purpose. Everybody wants purpose. They want to be loved. They want to be valued, right? And so I hope by now, by asking that question, we've started to think about that in a new way for ourselves. I really hope that you've begin, uh, begun to self-evaluate a little bit. I don't want us, I don't want us here at Hope Church to get sucked into the daily routines of life where things just become rote and repetitious and our faith really becomes stale and doesn't matter. Instead, I want you to be able to see the incredible work of Jesus in your life. Or if you're not there yet, like I already said, I know we have people in our audience like that, and that's okay. We're so glad that you're here, and Hope Church is going to be a safe place for you but that you're beginning to maybe see some clarity for your life, and that clarity is coming to a better understanding of what the story of Jesus is all about and what that means for you personally. If you do call yourself a follower of Jesus, I hope that it's grounded you a little bit more in your faith, and I hope that you would not lose hope and that Jesus, in the life that he gives, has started to bring life to you again into your heart. And so I said, there's a reason why the gospel has survived 
generation after generation. There's a reason why this good news carries on over and over again. And it's this, because it does have transforming, life-changing power. I'm going to say that again. The gospel of Jesus has life-changing, transformational power. And people today, me and you, are looking for explanation and transformation. That's what we really want as we seek purpose. We're looking for explanation. Why do things happen the way they do? Why do I feel the way that I do? But we also have this deep longing for something to be different. We long for something to be changed. We long for transformation. And the gospel has both of those things. And that's why this message of the good news reverberates generation after generation. It simply transforms lives. And I'd love to talk today about five ways that I think transformation works. Five ways that transformation works. Or maybe we'll call them five steps of transformation. Um, So we're going to jump in to that this morning. So how does transformation work? Where does it start? And I'm going to say this. We're going to kind of go through these a little bit quickly. Number one, it starts from him. The power of Christ transforms. If you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, write that down. Where does transformation start? It starts from God. I'm using that preposition very intentionally from God. If you look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, you will see this epic poem. In fact, I said in week one that this was the biggest, it's the centralized idea of Christology. If you're going to look for what Jesus is about, what Christ is about, what his purpose was, read Colossians chapter 1. That's where you're going to find it. Everything starts in him and from him. Paul, in another book that he wrote called Romans, Romans 1.16 says this, I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is what? The power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jews and the Gentiles. By the way, that means that it's for all people. The power of Christ transforms. The work of Jesus, and Kerry talked about this as well, his death, his resurrection, his life, Display the love and the power of God. And there's no better news for us as humans than that. We're looking for answers. We're looking for the meaning of life. We're trying to figure out how to right all the wrongs. We're trying to make sense of the world. We're looking for purpose. And there's no better explanation and realization than an almighty, omnipotent God, one who is all-powerful, that's what that means, and yet at the same time is loving and caring for each and every single one of us in our own unique way. To me, that's the power of the song we just sang. He knows every single detail of our life. He cares about every single detail of our life. And the gospel shows us that. It magnifies that for us. It explains the problem. It tells a story of sin and as a result our separation from God. But then it provides a way in the person and work of Jesus. And that's life-changing and transformational. 2 Corinthians 5.17, another book that Paul wrote says this. So then what? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. 
This is transformation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And if you have a person in here that has been transformed by Jesus, you know that to be the case. The power of Christ transforms generation after generation. And in Colossians chapter 1, 6, as we stay within our book, Colossians 1, 6 says, The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard it and understood the truth about Jesus Christ, about God's wonderful grace. He says it's going to keep going. It's going to keep going. Just as it has changed your lives, it's going to keep going. It's going out all over the world. And so that's the first step from him. But then it goes to the next step in the power of the gospel and why it just reverberates generation after generation. It has went to those before. And I'm calling this the power of faithfulness. So from Christ... To those who have gone before, the power of faithfulness. The gospel survives generation after generation because of the faithfulness of those who have gone before us. The gospel perpetuates generation after generation because of those who decided to live and share their faith with the world. Uh, Verse 7 of Colossians says this, You learned about the good news from Epaphras. Our beloved co-worker, he's Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. So if it wasn't for Epaphras starting this church, all the people he's talking to now says, you wouldn't know unless that was brought to you by a faithful person who has gone before you. And I would simply ask all of you this question. Who is it that has shared that message of hope with you? Who is it that shared with you? Can you look back and can you thank God for the faithfulness of that person in your life? Who listened to you? Who put up with you? Who put up with all your questions? Who was patient with you? Who was patient enough to love you through that time? Who loved your soul and who demonstrated Jesus to you? And so Paul fit in this for them as well. In fact, he explains his purpose uh, in Colossians 2.2. He says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, that was actually the second theme of all of Colossians. To grow up in Jesus, maturity in Christ, we're calling it. You can't stay where you were, but you got to grow into all the fullness of life that he gives. So, the gospel, the power of the gospel starts from Christ. Everything is rooted and grounded in him. That's where the power starts. And then it moves on to those before, the power of faithfulness. It continues next to me. And I'm calling this the power of my story. Colossians 1, 13 to 14 tells all of our story in kind of a succinct way. It says this, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who has purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That's our story. 
That's our story. He has taken us from darkness into light. He has brought us from a lack of understanding to understanding today. Amen. Amen. He's purchased our freedom and forgave our sin. We have no debt anymore. We talked about that when we talked about, you know, the narrowness of Christianity, what separates it apart. There's a lot of distinctives, but one of those things is that he did something for us. We do not have to do something for him. And that's the power of Christ that reverberated to those who went before me and now to my story. I remember the point in my life where that story changed for me. Maybe you remember yours as well. I remember it distinctly. It was May 31st, 1984. You say, wow, Tom, you are two years old. <laughs> I wish. I was eight years old. And I remember that I just had this, I, I knew I needed something. And so the one who has gone before me, my beautiful mother, I remember calling her into my room that night and saying, hey, I'm feeling this way. And so she prayed for me that night. And I still distinctly remember that night to this day. Now, you, your story might not be like that. You might not be able to exactly picture, you know, point to that specific time or that place. And here's the thing. Here's what's weird. I, so, I, so I've gone through my life, and at, there were parts of my life, and at times I just felt like my story just didn't really matter. It was, it's kind of boring. And so I really didn't like to share it a whole lot. I haven't had that super crazy darkness to light transformation. And then a while back, I realized, you know what? There's still so much power in my story. It's my story. Someone told me a long time ago, hey, listen, Tom, no one can argue with your story because it's yours. And there's something really unique about that. And as I have even wrestled with that in my own life, I've realized that the power of God to keep me even from certain things or to give me a very unique voice, that there's a power in that. Some of you maybe have had the dramatic rescue and this dramatic transformation. Use your story. Use your story. Think about it like this. this. Your story is perpetuating the gospel. Your story is perpetuating the gospel, which leads me to the fourth thing. It started from Christ. It went to those before. It came to me. And now it goes to you. And I've just called this, the power of my story continues. Because when I share my story with other people, it perpetuates the gospel. It perpetuates the good news. That's how it keeps going. Colossians 1, 28 and 29 says this, So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That means mature, complete. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Paul says, I am working hard to share my story so that in turn, you can share your story with others. And as someone who's maturing in Jesus, we have that responsibility. And honestly, what I would say is that privilege 
1 Peter 3.15, I actually mentioned this last week in a different context, but it says this, worship Christ as Lord of your life. If someone asks you about your hope of salvation, he's asking you about your story as a believer, always be ready to explain it and do this in a gentle and respectful way. You see, that's how the power of the gospel perpetuates generation after generation. Which leads me to the fifth and final, and where we'll spend a few more minutes. It started from Christ and the power power he displayed from the beginning of time to those who have gone before who have been faithful in our lives, to me, to you, and finally, to the world. And this is what I'm calling the power of the church. The power of the church. Throughout this entire book of Colossians, we see Paul talking to the church and about the church. And the church is simply this. It's a collection of all of us individuals as a body of Christ. We call this the universal church. It's, you know, the most popular picture that Paul uses is this term of the body. And if you read Colossians, which we've gone through quite a bit, you'll see that over and over again. In fact, uh, Colossians chapter 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. That was our key verse. But we see here, there's the head of the body, and then we have the body, the church. And so what is the church all about? What is it supposed to be about? Why are you here, Tom? Why is Hope Church staying here today? What is our purpose? Well, before Jesus left the earth, he gave lots of instructions. And so some that he gave to his disciples and those who are followers of him, we find in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, it says this. Therefore, go... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I know there's a lot of people who have lost faith in the church. I get it. But... I'm compelled to believe that the church is still the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world as a body of believers, as individual people who are living out their faith and are trying to walk that out. We come together and there's power in this place. It has the power to transform the world around us. I believe that. In fact, he goes on to say in the next chapter, he goes, so this all this stuff that we're talking about is so important. He goes, don't lose connection from the head. That's what Paul says to, to the, these people at Colossae, verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 19. Uh, Kerry Newhoff is a guy, uh, he's a church leader, uh, he's, a, uh, he's one who, who comes alongside the church and just helps uh, with a lot of information on a leadership level, but also even as I've, I've talked to even some of the statistics, uh, he's, he's really helpful for me in this area. So he wrote an article recently, and this is what he said about the church. He says, people are hungry for true community, deeper experiences, and authentic transcendence. I agree with that. People might not know how to put words to it, but we are longing for purpose and meaning, and we're really longing for community. A place that's safe to be able to work out your faith, to wrestle in those tensions like I talked about last week. 
to have an experience of God similar to what we are having right now and what we've had through the time that we worship God through music today, an authentic transcendence. Authentic transcendence. We want to get above it and say, what are we doing here? Why are we here? There's got to be more to life than this. And guess what? We find that in the purpose of the church. He goes on to say, as a side note, we're drowning in a sea of information. And people aren't looking for more information. They are looking for transformation. So can the church be that? I'm just, don't answer me. I'm just saying, can the church be that? That's our goal. That's our job. I believe the church is the hope of the world. The church's story is his story. And we have the ability as a collective to change the world by perpetuating the story through the efforts of our church. All of these steps, all of these steps, it starts from Christ. And through the ages, it has gone to those before who've passed it on to me. I'm able to share my story with you. And then we all come together and are able to share our story to the world. There's a power there. And that's what perpetuates the good news of Jesus to a world that is desperately looking for answers. That's desperately looking for meaning. That's desperately looking for purpose. Which brings me to my big idea for today. And it's this. Maturity in Christ. As we grow up, As we get on this journey of our faith, maturity in Christ is perpetuated when we share our lives and our story with others. Maturity in Christ is perpetuated when we share our lives and our story with others. I don't know if you know this, but we literally just went through the whole first chapter of Colossians in about 25 minutes. We spent some time most of our time in Colossians chapter 2, which talked about, again, how, how we combat these ideas and these religions and these ideologies and these philosophies. We touched a little bit in chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4 last week when we talked about how we share our faith. What I wanted to do was talk about what does it look like um, as, as we grow into mature people of God. That's kind of like in the middle of chapter 3, and that's where I was going to spend my time, and I'm not going to do that today. So I'm just going to encourage you to go read that, continue to get that in your heart, and I might be able to do that in some weeks down the road. But today, I just felt like, listen, if I was to summarize all of this, when we talk about Jesus as supreme, when we talk about growing up in Christ, we cannot forget that in Him is the fullness of life. In him, and through him, and by him, and for him. That's why we're here. I hope that that's some of the question that you've been able to answer for you. That's why you're here. It's so much bigger than we could ever imagine. And I'm afraid we live in a time, and in a place, and in a culture where we don't think through that enough. Why? Why? Because we fill our lives up with so much stuff. And we get distracted by so many ideas. And here at Hope Church, listen, I want us to get back to the very beginning. And it's all about Jesus. Don't get hung up on the other stuff. I find it fascinating in this book. He has some strong words for the Jewish people. 
Because what they were doing, and actually other people who were trying to be like them, they just started doing more and more and more stuff. They started going back to the old way. And he says, that old is gone. There's something new that I want to do. It's the most important thing. It's the thing that should stand out above everything. The one who is above all. The one that nothing supersedes in this life. It's Jesus. All we need is him. Nothing else. The answer for life, Jesus. The all-powerful, the all-wise, the all-knowing creator of the universe that wants to have a personal relationship with you. The king of the world. The all-supreme one. And when he gets in our heart, he transforms it. And then we place ourselves in a body called the church, which is called to share him and to shine light on him. And that through this group of people, both individually and collectively, we serve and love in such a way that people are attracted to it and can begin a heart and life transformation of their own. That's why we're here. Colossians 1, 28 is how I'm going to end this. Paul says, why are we here? To proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Let's pray. God, listen, my words are just in my own strength, my words. If there's anything that I've said today or throughout these past several weeks that aren't on your heart, that are wrong, I pray that you would just show them in your own sovereign and gracious way to everybody that's sitting in this room or, or watching it online, that you would just be able to do what you need to do in their heart and forget all that. But God... As I thought through and as I get passionate about why we're here and what we're doing in our lives personally and as a church and how do we, how do we live in a way that people see something different in our lives, God, I pray that we would take some of those things and be able to just start right now, today. Living according to the power, the life-transforming power that you have inside us. I would be remiss to not thank you again for your son who is willing to come to this earth and to die to bridge that gap between our sin and that darkness that we lived in so that we could bridge that gap to taking all of that away and giving us life and that we could have it to the full. So God, renew that in our hearts today. If we, if we have been following Jesus for a while, maybe that's gotten old or stale. My prayer is that you would just renew that today in our hearts. And God, for those who are still on the journeys, looking for answers and seeking truth, God, I am 100% convinced that you are in that and that you see that, that you would give them wisdom and clarity And God, that as a church, we would truly serve and love you with all that we have. Thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you for the people in this room. I pray blessing upon them. Pray that they would leave her encouraged and built up in their faith. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks, everybody.